you know, finding people is, is difficult um, because there's not a lot, of, there's a lot of people who want to scout. There's not a lot of people who want to work in this industry. And, and as you know, it takes people who, if you give them a job, it might take, you know, 10 hours that week, they should be working 15 hours that week. And I can't tell them that if I tell them that, that defeats the purpose. So it's tough. And we have a lot of a turnover in our assistant scouting assistant program, but not a lot of turnover in people that stay with us long-term because once you find someone who can do that job successfully, it's very clear to me. And then more importantly to NFL teams, college recruiting departments, et cetera. Do I really work like a guy with a Welcome to another brand new edition of Up Close in Personnel with Alex Brown. I am your host, Alex Brown, and it is my pleasure to bring you the most unique dose of football personnel insight on a weekly basis through this show. Our goal is to inform, educate, and assist those that work in scouting, personnel, recruiting, and otherwise in the football world, as well as help the athletes and parents out there trying to learn more about navigating this wild, wacky recruiting process. This week's guest is a very close friend and someone who I worked with at Optimum Scouting and someone who's carved his own path in this football industry. Eric Galco, founder and owner of Optimum Scouting, talks scouting, he talks roster management, and he really takes us behind the scenes of player personnel in the XFL, the league that really took the the country by storm uh, earlier in 2020, had a short time span this past year due to COVID, but uh, thankfully they actually are getting things back up and running with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And Eric talks about that. He talks about his experiences with Oliver Luck, uh, with the league, things that he's learned. And we covered so much in this episode. The topics that we really dove into the most though, that, that I got the most takeaways from involved networking. You gotta always bring value when you network with other people and come with a purpose, come with a goal. Hiring processes, okay, like what type of people do you wanna bring your organization? You really wanna bring people into your organization that are upwardly driven, people that are high achievers, and if you're helping your people get better jobs, you're doing something right. The purpose of a scouting report. It, It sounds basic, it sounds like something that doesn't even need to be discussed, but at the end of the day, if you're hired to do a scouting report, if you're hired to be an evaluator, those people are asking you to watch that player for them to be able to paint the picture of the player without them having to watch it so that they understand as decision makers if that's somebody that they need to spend time on. So talking through scouting reports, the process, how do you give an elevator pitch to your GM or to your head coach or to whoever you're, you directly report to because that's important. And we, we go through Eric's journey at Optimum Scouting to landing the XFL gig and just processes, processes that he uses in the industry now, things that he helped him get to the point where he is now and relationships with people in the industry and how that has helped shape him to the person and the professional he is right now. So as always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, hopefully five stars so we keep that record clean. Looking at you, Apple Podcasts, and share the show. That's the only way we grow this thing, and I appreciate everybody that's been tuning into the show. This episode is one that really delivers on a lot of content for people. Whether you're in recruiting or player personnel, you can learn something from this. And for those on the outside looking in, um, Eric talks directly to what translates to success in the industry and what teams are looking for. So with all that being said, it's now time to turn to my wide-ranging conversation with Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Eric, my man, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Alex. You know, uh, it's crazy. It has been nine years since we, we first met over, I mean, this was, I think I got on Bill Carroll's radio show and you had been talking with him and that's how we got connected. But, um, you know, it's, it's been a long, it's been a long, long journey for you and Optimum Scouting and a lot of highs and lows and, and awesome things that I really want to talk about in this show. But uh, I, I want to start at a different point for you because uh, okay. you're a Scranton, Pennsylvania guy. Yeah. And obviously the office is important to you. And yeah. I know you've watched it a million times, 
but when I was doing some research for this show, um, I didn't realize that you had posted the quarterback Dundies of the 2018 oh. draft class. Yeah. So instead of just revisiting that one, like I'll, I'll put that one to bed. You've been watching a bunch of tape. I know you're a big quarterback junkie when it comes to watching film. What's your uh, early quarterback Dundee projection for <laughs> For this next class. Well, well first off, we said Scranton. I thought you were gonna mention Joe Biden go political on me. So I'm glad we no. went towards the office in Scranton. But uh <laughs> but uh no, that was that was 2018 was the last time I've done I wasn't even really doing media back then because that's when we just started working with the XFL. So it was kind of this weird area where I was kind of still in the mode of doing it, but nothing had to be serious. Um, but no, I love the office and I just I, I love I don't like quarterback player comparisons in general in scouting for a reason I'll go into later if you want to, but the idea of, of we talk about these quarterbacks so much and their personalities and who they are and what they're going to be and comparing them to a show that I love that had nine seasons and you see where these guys go. It's hilarious. I don't, I don't know who this year, this year's Dwight Schrute is. That's always the most intriguing one. Um, I probably say gut feeling Trey Lance is probably Andy. Um, cause I just think that people think he's going to be a franchise quarterback. It's probably not going to work out that way. Um, but no, overall, I haven't done that yet for this year, but it's my favorite thing. I, I usually do it every year anyways, just because it, you can always make something up that it makes it correlated, but, um, but no quarterback comparisons aren't good unless they're off this characters. I might do Shit's Creek characters. That's my new show. Um, so maybe I'll do Shit's Creek characters next. Okay. And, and just listeners note, uh, his Dwight Schrute. And the last Dundee's pick was Baker Mayfield. So uh, nailed that. Nailed it. Um, who who so was look. Josh Rosen? Josh Rosen was uh, Kevin Malone? No, 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 no. It, Josh Rosen. So Michael Scott was Sam Darnold. Yeah. Uh, Jim Halpert was, was Josh Rosen. Okay. Okay. And, and, and just, I mean, just to kind of cover your, your tracks here, you <laughs> kind of said, um, you know, he can basically go one way or the other, fail to live up to the hype or be that franchise quarterback. So, I mean, you put both, both lines right there. So, um, you know, I, I really want to start and, and really talk about how you were able to grow Optimum Scouting. And obviously we had a chance to work together for a long time. It was awesome. Um, that was really kind of the starting point for me as far as falling in love with, you know, watching the draft, studying players, evaluating guys, covering an area. And I know it started for you in high school, Talk about kind of what led you to kind of this career path that's so, so unique because you didn't necessarily go the NFL process, right, or kind of fall yeah. into media, but you've had a chance to experience both sides of it and kind of create your own lane. Yeah, you know, I, I really, this sounds like I, I planned this out, you know, 20 years ago, but I really saw um, way back then when I first started watching football and I learned about the business that, hey, there are people in the industry most notably at that time, especially agents and CFL teams that didn't have access to good resources. This was before really even Twitter was as impactful in, in the NFL draft process it is now. There's like eight people, you know, myself and Matt Miller included, were like, and Mel Kuyper, and Mel Kuyper wasn't even on Twitter yet. And agents had no real way to get information, um, especially outside of the big ones who knew GM. So I saw that as like, hey, I'm, I can do these reports, but I want to do them for a purpose. That was always kind of the mission, right? I don't want to just talk about the NFL draft because I want to be actionable and, and a part of the industry, not just talking about it. So that was always the approach. And even over the last, you know, almost two decades now of, of you know, doing media, not doing media, et cetera, I've always kind of had that mindset. So it started from that point of, of I want to add value to people in the industry and make a difference. And you know, way back then when it was just me, it was, you know, a handful of, of agents, most of which probably left the business by now. And uh, a couple CFL teams, the BC Lions were our first CFL client a long, long time ago. And we work with probably half the league in different times at this point. Um, but that's where it started. And, uh, and I always kind of had that mindset of, okay, how can we add value? And that kind of grew as the industry grew. And I think especially as our reputation of good work and good products and kind of creative thinking in, in the industry where it's not just about is this guy good, but you know, how good can he be? What's the risk associated with him? What's the actual scouting report say? And then as we've grown the last, you know, five, six years, what do analytics tell you and how can that help your process? It's kind of evolved over the last two decades, but what that same goal of how can we add value? And I'm very thankful, you know, not doing media. I think people sometimes lose track of, of what we do, but the chance to work with 
all these different stakeholders, NFL teams, agents, CFL teams, leagues, XFL, AAF, whatever else. Um, it, it all stems back from that first idea, you know, two decades ago, we want to add value to people in the industry, not just talk about it. Yeah. And even beyond just people in the industry, I, I feel like it, it was, it was really pivotal for me. I know it was important for Mark, uh, Mark Dolgarian, who you and him worked together way before even I got on board, but and still, um, yeah, yeah, I know. And um, just talk about your process for finding people to bring into your organization. Cause um, you know, obviously this show talks a lot about recruiting and evaluating, but I think getting the right people in your organization is the number one key. And for you, I mean, COVID wasn't anything new for you. Like you've been managing a, a virtual <laughs> staff for a decade or yeah. so now. So yeah. talk about what your process is for finding people in, you know, it's, it's such a different, a different role. You know, you've got to be a self-starter. You have a massive database, all these different things on your plate. And I think it's, it's important that like the expectations are set. And that was something you did right from the jump with me in particular, but like, what's your process for hiring people? Well, I appreciate that, Alex. And, and it was, it was awesome work with you back then. And really what I've always valued is, is people who don't want to work with Optimum Scouting more than a few years. Um, I, I want people who want to use this as a launching point or get something out of it and keep moving. You know, I tell people, even interns we bring on nowadays still, Hey, if you're here after two years, right, except for Mark, Mark's different because Mark and I are, are close and, and he has, you know, a lot of other influence in the industry. But really, if you're here more than two years, there's either I'm not doing a good job developing you or you're not motivated to use this. And, you know, one thing, and especially, you know, now more than I think when, when, when you were working with us, because you were incredibly a self-starter and you found your own path and, and hopefully we helped a little bit in that. But, you know, nowadays... I, I think Gotham Scouting has the juice to get people on the resume. It means something or in front of people, um, which I'm very happy about. And we've got, you know, a lot of people leave the last four or five years for NFL or college jobs. Actually just had two people leave for college jobs the last six months. But it, and you need people, as you know, in the industry to kind of do it themselves. And if you Gotham Scouting is not going to get you a job, but I know that if it's there, not only does it help you on the resume, but I take a lot of value in, having people be ready for when that job comes. You know, one, one of our uh, former staff members a long time ago now is an NFL scout and I'm very proud of him and he did a lot of it himself, but he used the opportunity working with us to, when he got the job, he was so ready that he became well, scouting assistant to area scout to trusted area scout in a year. And that doesn't really happen that often. And I think I'm proud that he was not learning the ropes when he got there. Obviously every team has their own way of doing things, but he knew how to be a scout. He knew what mattered. He knew how to prioritize his time. He knew how to talk about a player, which I care a lot about. You know, what is that elevator pitch for a player? How can you sell a player to your GM or, or make sure you know who he is? Those type of skills that I'm very happy. I think we played a role in developing, but you know, finding people is, is difficult um, because there's not a lot, of, there's a lot of people who want to scout. There's not a lot of people who want to work in this industry. And, and as you know, it takes people who, if you give them a job that might take, you know, 10 hours that week, they should be working 15 hours that week. And I can't tell them that. If I tell them that, that defeats the purpose. So it's tough. And we have a lot of a turnover in our assistant scouting assistant program, but not a lot of turnover in people that stay with us long-term. Because once you find someone who can do that job successfully, it's very clear to me. And then more importantly to NFL teams, college recruiting departments, et cetera. Yeah. It's can you talk about that elevator pitch? Because it's yeah. really, really important. It's something that I struggled with early. I, I would get, I would lose the forest for the trees. You know, like I'm, I'm going to want to cover every single detail of a guy. And when I finally got to the college level, it's like, all right, they just want a one letter. Like, what is this guy's value to our team? What is the vision for this player? Talk about what that is and maybe where you learned that from. Yeah, no, we, we have, that's one of the most important things we talk about um, with all of our staff. And actually every Wednesday, we have a staff meeting where everyone does that for two guys. Um, and especially for the guys that are already trained, they're people like I actually want to know, right? So I, I always tell our staff, the goal of a scouting report, um, which I think people kind of lose track of sometimes, even I think in the NFL, to admittedly, the goal of a scouting report is so the reader doesn't have to go watch that player if they don't want to, right? That's why I hired you to write this scouting report and tell me who this guy is. Because if I didn't need, if I want to watch a guy myself, why do I have you here, right? But that's not the point. So the goal of kind of a scouting report and then talking about a player is so I get who that player is, right? If I want to ask follow-up questions, I will, but I need to know who that player's ethos is, what that guy is going to be. If I was working for a team, how that player fits into our scheme and our, our time period. And, you know, one of the guys on our staff, Shane Coughlin, 
was with us for a few years, worked for the Dolphins as a scout, is now back with us. Um, he knows how to do that really well. He learned that, I think, from our process. And, and more importantly, he refined that and did that for the Dolphins all the time. But our, our pitch really is, and I'll give you kind of the secret sauce away, although I think it takes a lot of time to do it, is, is we talk about the player's you know, background being position, how long he's played experience. We focus a lot on athleticism, um, a lot, a lot, uh, because athleticism is, as we, as you know, on this subjectivity to objectivity scale, athleticism is the most objective part of a scouting report because it's can work if you're a basketball player, a football player, et cetera. So we do background and character, athleticism, and then two or three traits that really make that player unique. Every guy has something he's doing that's not necessarily totally unique, but pretty unique for a guy at that position, that role, et cetera. And then we end that with not a draft grade, never a draft grade. I hate the idea of draft grades because we're not drafting players. So it's, hey, what's that role going to be at the next level? And, and that, that sounds easy, but doing that quickly, um, part of it's probably my law background where I want you to get that elevator pitch out. But also if I want to ask questions in the middle of it, you better be prepared to ask that question and then get back on track. But um, but no, that's that's the most important part. And I think what I tell people on our staff and why that's so important, aside from that story of of the guy who's on our, you know, was on our staff and is now a, an, an area scout in the NFL, is back 20 years ago when I first started going to college games, right? I wanted to build a network in the NFL. And the easiest way I knew to do that after going there two or three times was, hey, when I'm going to be in that press box next to an NFL scout, I'm not going to go say, hey, how you doing? Here are five guys I like. Here's your scouting reports, right? Here's a, here's a document. No one wants that document, right? But I said, hey, you know what? If, if there's ever a time where it comes up where a scout asks a question to the room or is just thinking out loud, or maybe you could value some information, I'm going to have it ready to say, right? And that may be, oh my God, who's that guy? Oh, that kid's a redshirt sophomore this first year playing today. Or, hey, that guy over there, oh man, he's really fluid corner along, but just, you know, new to position, former Juco kid, right? Stuff like that. I want it at the ready because I want to impress people. And that translates over to now, whether it's you talking to your coaching staff about who this guy is, or it's me talking to an age or NFL team, they don't have an hour per player. They have, you know, 10 seconds per player sometimes. So it all kind of ties together to try to be really efficient and practical, but also be be able to convey who that player is as quickly as possible. If they have follow-up questions, great, but that process is so important for every part of the industry, as you well know as well. And it, it, yeah, it really is that important. And kind of going to back to the, the law school side of things, um, talk about, uh, it's, I thought this was pretty cool, um, how Andrew Brandt was, was one of your professors and you, you had yeah. a chance to kind of develop that relationship and, and learn from him really as you were kind of transitioning optimum scouting towards more all-star game coverage and towards more of getting involved with the expo. I know that's a, a later question I have for you, but talk about kind of like what you learned from law school that has translated to scouting. I know you talk about efficiency a lot, but, but also that relationship with, with uh, Andrew Brandt. Yeah, no, I mean, Andrew, Andrew was great. And I think what, what law school helped quite a bit was um, kind of put things in perspective um, and make sure that, I wasn't prioritizing the wrong things. And I think what Andrew Brandt was able to do is first off, he's got a lot of great stories, a lot of great experience that you can lean off of and him not being from scouting, but also having a lot of scouting stories and scouting acumen, but tying to the business was, was really helpful um, because perspective matters so much. And you realize again, that perspective can mean efficiency and, and, and knowing what matters there also can mean scouting front, right. And make sure you don't lose track of the forest or the trees, as you said earlier, how good a player actually is, but, I think there's a lot of value and, and, and I learned from him and our news almost already, but certainly learned from him kind of the business side of football, not just because I want to work in salary caps, but the more understanding you have of how this all fits together, um, the better, right? So he, he did a lot of the salary cap work and, and a lot of the business stuff for the Green Bay Packers and, and learning about the type of UDFAs that made it, right? Didn't necessarily help me for you know, directly in scouting, but I was able to get a better idea. Like, okay, you know what? These traits matter to Ron Wolf and they matter to the Green Bay Packers who are one of the best, you know, I, Ted Thompson, who I think, I think their process is most similar to ours or vice versa. Um, and I think learning kind of what their foundational core beliefs were was really helpful for me too, but he's still someone I can lean on. And, you know, I'm, I'm a question asker, so I, I'm not too, you know, too humble to be like, I have all the answers. 
you know, question on something small the other day, I called Andrew, be like, Andrew, what, what the hell's going on here? Like, well, I can't make sense of this right now. Like, what do you know? And he, you know, summed it up in a two minute soundbite that should have been on a podcast somewhere. So there are people like him that if you, if you meet people along the way that have expertise, the best thing you can do is lean on that and rely on it. And, you know, if I'm looking at players in a certain area, I'll have my opinion, but I'm going to call an area scout. If I know, if I have a question on the, the law set of things, I'm going to ask Andrew Brand. If I have a question on, something NCA related, especially, but probably a lot of things. I have lucky to have Oliver Luck in my Rolodex to call him and ask him questions. And, you know, I'm, I'm usually calling people to kind of ask curiosity questions because that curiosity kind of allows me to have a better picture of the whole industry and to be as, as good as you can be in this industry. You got to know a lot of people and know a lot of things and, and how they all intertwine. That's why GMs are, you know, 30 years of doing this because it takes sometimes 20, 30 years to have this network, to have this kind of perspective of how it all fits together because, things change and, and ideas come up and new processes happen. And as much as you can steal and learn, the better. Who's, who's the top influence uh, for you? And what, I mean, early, I'm talking early, obviously, you know, Oliver Luck was yeah. a, a really big relationship for you now, but who are some of the early influences for you? You know, didn't, didn't have a ton. I think people in the industry always look for, you know, who was your mentor, who taught you and, and people ask me all the time. And sometimes I'll, you know, say somebody I met along the way, right. You and I both know Ted Sunquist. Um, and, and he was someone that was, you know, I wouldn't say he was a mentor, but he was certainly a, a person I would still hope to lean on and lean on in the past. And, um, it's really valuable, but I think my, my mentor was, you know, and the people that were our clients are people that were um, working with us or trusted us early on. And I keep going back to the perspective, but I've learned a lot in scouting from smart agents, from CFL people um, along the way that I've had a chance to work with and, and interact with directly. I, I think if you're trying to, for me personally, I, I didn't, I didn't seek out a mentor, but I, and I certainly didn't find one along the way. And that's okay, because I think I've kind of made my own path and figured it out along the way as well. But I think trying to gather as much as possible from as many people as possible. And in my mind, trying to compartmentalize all that, sometimes writing that down, but also just compartmentalizing that is, is what played a bigger role for me than just a mentor. So I've had a lot of people along the way. I mentioned Ted Sunquist, more recently, Oliver Luck, Andrew Brandt, a lot of area scouts that I've worked with that I don't want to necessarily name, but, but they're people that I, I still lean on and trust and more so catch up with as friends as opposed to asking any favors. And that's been really valuable. But for me, it's been the experience, trial and error, um, and, and try to figure out again, that, that perspective, Hey, you know, for example, an NFL agent that we work with in the past, right. Doesn't need the scouting report an NFL team does. And, and, and figuring all that out is what really allowed me to be, to develop in the industry and know what people in the industry want and then develop as a scout because of that. Can, can we kind of dive into that? Cause uh, yeah. you talked about teams, you know, working with teams like, you know, CFL teams and agents, and that was kind of the early market for optimum and then you pivoted and kind of i mean went all in and, and got that xfl gig and yeah. a big part of that you've talked about this a couple of times i just want you to kind of elaborate um you're not beholden to an nfl process like this isn't an nfl league like this is a right. different pro league i'm going to get the best players for this league to put the best product on the field and at the end of the day it was the most exciting thing on tv until y'all got shut down and obviously uh, XFL is coming back, but just talk about like the things that led to that and kind of how y'all got that ship off the ground. I mean, that, yeah. that's a, a huge, huge deal. Well, first off, I'm, I'm really proud that we had a chance to work with the XFL. And, uh, you know, if I can speak highly about them scouting for a second, you know, when they were looking for someone to lead personnel that of course was a former NFL GM or a former NFL longtime scout. Um, and, you know, it was, it was between us and a few others and a few others were former NFL executives. And I think what really resonated and how they want to work with, with myself and our team was because of our process and because of our resources, um, because of our respect in the industry in a way that mattered, right? People in the industry, agents, CFL teams, um, a handful of NFL teams, the analytics community, et cetera, all valued us and would be resources to us. Whereas someone who worked in the NFL for a long time necessarily wouldn't. So first off, I'm proud of that. And I'm gloating myself, but I think the people we have on our team, the process we've developed, it was when that time came, it was easy because I believed in what we were doing. We actually had an established way of doing things. And I, I think it made a difference in the long run, especially with our analytics process. But 
no, I mean, I, I still believe that, hey, I'm not sure NFL teams are doing things the most efficient way and they can get by with that because they have a much bigger budget. But, you know, I one of my favorite movies more and more as, as I watch it over the years is Moneyball because it, it resonates so close with the XFL because we can't, can't beat NFL teams in scouting. They've got many more scouts and many more years of experience, no matter how much money we had. Unless we had the same amount of budget, we would still lose. And still the NFL collective is going to be have value as opposed to us too. So, you know, one of my main my main tent poles is and at that point we had a lot of time. We had about a year and a half runway is to kind of build this database out, have all the information we needed, not miss on information. Um, and if we had a miss, we were going to miss on the NFL stole the guy or scouting, right? But we never wanted to miss on injury. We never wanted to miss on, hey, this guy has been really efficient in college or minimal snaps in the NFL. He's, he's good analytically. Let's go watch this guy. And then one thing that I focused on quite a bit and we were planning on doing in year two, and, and who knows if, if we're back a part of the XFL, we, we would like to continue this idea, um, is be decisive and be very confident in our evaluations. And for us, you know, people in the NFL took all the time, right? You got to stand on the table for a guy. And that's, that's sometimes cheesy and sometimes happens in the NFL, but, but sometimes doesn't, but I'm sure you do it as well. Hey, we got to go offer this guy. And for, for us at the time, it was very different because it was, we've got a very tight budget and, and we've got to have the best quality product and how can we be decisive? And, you know, there's a handful of guys where it was, Hey, you know, Oliver trusted myself and us like, Hey, we've got this data. We've got to go sign this guy. And, you know, I, I negotiated, you know, I, I think I ended up managing a $35 million player budget, but we had to go negotiate with, with certain players. And, and I'm like, Oliver, Jordan Tamo, I know he's a young guy, but he's worth it. We've got to get him right now and not have the NFL sign him. And that's those stories like that are cool. There's many more of offensive linemen and, and guys off future deals that we had to be decisive on. But for us, it was, you know, you having information was, was key using analytics to be really efficient in how we were evaluating players, especially from NFL cuts. Um, and then, you know, being decisive when those guys were available. And, and I've got stories for every quarterback. I didn't sign every quarterback. So the bad ones, you can blame somebody else. But uh, but no, it was it was certainly a, a team effort to make sure we had the quarterbacks our teams wanted, our teams needed, and we felt that would be the best chance to have good football week one. So I think we had good football week one. I'm very confident we had good football week five. Um, where we were trending was the right direction. And, and you know, I hope uh, I hope Dwayne and, and Danny Garcia and the, the people over there at the new XFL will want to work with us again. I, I think, you know, I think it makes sense. We had a good product and we'll see what happens. But more importantly, I hope they can kind of see that legacy of what we built in 2020. I think everybody fell in love with the, the PJ Walker story. So talk about, I mean, because you're, I, you, you always went to the Temple games. I mean, if, if, uh, I, I, if I know you, like you, yeah. were, all, you were always going to be at those games because it's just location. So um, talk about you know, finding him, watching his tape, man. And, you know, and then I, the I, whole story of getting him on board. You know, I think I think I've, I don't know if I told the PJ story and and my boy um, Oliver. The story kind of the media took off that you know in what August or whatever it was. Andrew Luck texted Oliver. This PJ Walker, this guy's good and you got to go get him. That's not at all how it played out, but I let that go. And maybe this will be the first time I talk about it, but, but no, I remember back in, back in the summer of 2018, we were kind of getting our stuff together. We being up from scouting to kind of tell the XFL early on, we weren't signed on yet, but it was kind of leaning towards us. And, and hey, here's kind of a, the model we want to go after. And at that time, the idea was we wanted to sign eight quarterbacks a year out. Um, to kind of promote the league and develop them, right? Have a quarterback coach work with them, develop them, have these eight quarterbacks in our eight cities and being the face marketer. And, and the idea made sense. It just ended up being too difficult because quarterbacks only take a year off of football in their prime. Um, but there was four quarterback, four or five quarterbacks we were close to signing. And one of them was, was PJ. And PJ was one of the top guys, partially because I, I knew PJ for a long time. I watched him since his freshman year at Temple. Um, and looking at practice squad rosters, they're like, Hey, this guy is, is he's in the wrong system in Indianapolis. He's a short guy and, and, a, and a mobile quarterback when they're more of a pocket team and they keep practice squatting him every year. That tells me that, Hey, th this guy must have some intangible intrinsic ability, right? You don't keep a guy that doesn't fit your scheme for three years on practice squad, unless he's got something. And he did. And, and thankfully, you know, we didn't know, I didn't know people in Annapolis and, and certainly Oliver knew people in Annapolis with Andrew and other people. And we kind of verified that, but that was back in 2018. And 
I negotiated very hard with PJ and in the end PJ opted to go with the Colts again the following year. But that's, that's a classic example. And I've told, you know, a lot of people this now in the business that, Hey, that, that recruitment of PJ Walker and that negotiation took a year and a half. Um, that way, when he was available again, we were able to pick up where we left off, but I was talking to his agent probably every two months, if not much more frequently for a year and a half to make sure we got PJ Walker and getting PJ and, and, you know, Houston was not in love with him. They liked him. They were happy to have him. Um, they thought he fit their system, but they were not, he's going to be this star. But I, I credit June Jones for being my favorite coach I've ever worked with um, because he was able to just, Hey, give me the guys and I'll go win and I'll go play. But I think for PJ seeing how well he took advantage of that opportunity. Now that he's just, you know, you know, knock on wood and it doesn't happen, but one Teddy Bridgewater away from starting in the NFL, I think it's really, really exciting. And I, I'm proud of a lot of the guys that have gone to the XFL, obviously, uh, the, the, the Chargers, the Chargers have Pep Hamilton, our DC defender head coach, be their quarterback coach, making Justin Herbert look great. They've got two more players who played probably 40, 50 snaps in their Monday night football game from the XFL and Storm Norton, Donald Parham. So as you can tell, I have a lot of affection for our XFL guys, but I think PJ's story, because he is a bit older, he kind of got trapped. Not, I don't want to say trapped because I'm not trying to say Ballard, you know, kidnapped him, but but he got kind of stuck in Indianapolis and getting the opportunity to really show that he could be an NFL quality player, if not a starter, is what the XFL is all about and what I was proud to have. And there are many guys like that in the XFL that I identified, many guys that our staff or team staff identified. But I think PJ is a great story for, for us and for me about, hey, this takes a year and a half sometimes to get the right player in your system, but also for PJ to say, hey, he believed in the XFL and have enough people in our building vouch for him and know he's a good player and then see him succeed kind of validated our whole process. Yeah. Uh, talk about the, 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 I think this is really cool. Um, you know, you mentioned in passing like the $35 million, you know, personnel, like, like they're talking multiple rosters, multiple teams, yeah. multiple coaches, systems. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts and, and you were basically every day making sure, you know, the league could run at the level that you wanted to run at. What did you learn? the process of the XFL on roster management, roster building, and really roles, because I think it's easy for us to kind of spit out like, oh, he's a West Coast system guy, or he's an air raid quarterback. Oh, he's a uh, power scheme guard, or he's a run and chase back. Like, right, there's there's very common yep. like tags we can throw on players, but really roles are, are so scheme and team dependent, right? And I'm sure you got a chance to really get up close with that um, oh, yeah. from team to team basis. So talk about what you learned from a roster construction standpoint. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the first things that, that hit a couple of our teams very hard, that is a very cheesy thing to say, and I hate to use this as the first one, but injuries and availability um, was so crucial. And as an example, there were two teams, especially for us that, you know, we had our draft in October, we had a supplemental draft in November, but early December was when minicamp started. And I've kind of learned that, hey, that first week of minicamp was probably the most important week of the year because we had guys come in that failed physicals or got banged up early and never really recovered. And, you know, for us, it was difficult because we limited player transactions for a variety of reasons, competitive balance, cost, whatever it may be. But it probably, it's the, it's the case for any roster is that when you are, when you have expectations coming in and then you, you know, those players are gone to injury, something you didn't necessarily plan for or control at all, and you have to adjust, there was a lot of that going on. So we let the teams have a lot of autonomy, but that was one area when I had to step in and, and, and help them kind of manage those things, whether it's facilitate trades, whether it was be more aggressive, right? We had a budget to say, hey, you know what? We lost two offensive linemen. Those are valuable. If we've got to go, you know, sign a guy from a practice squad and maybe overpay, we probably have to do that right now. So I think availability is something that, that I value a lot. And I injury evaluation is become paramount, right? Next XFL, that will not be a problem because I've realized that's so important to make sure that we have our, our athletic trainers and, and people ahead of time know these guys' injury history, not have them, you know, drafted as high or be at least have well maintenance uh, on that front. I think the other piece is, how different NFL schemes really can be. Um, and, you know, working with our XFL teams, their draft boards, and, and even for our level, which it sounds obvious our draft boards are different, but 
you know, there's not that many high level football players in America, right? I'm not going to say every XFL player was NFL quality guy. They weren't right. But, and that's, that's kind of the point is I thought there'd be a lot more, Hey, I can probably predict who's going to be one of the early guys in this draft. And for some parts, you know, offensive line DB that did happen, but fascinating to see um, how different teams value players. And to the point where those players were all drafted correctly. And I thought, People sometimes, especially in NFL draft discussions, see on social media, oh, how that team take that guy? I saw Cam Phillips, who I thought was one of the better receivers, thrive in Houston with P.J. Walker. I've always loved Cam Phillips since he was you know, out of college and still root for him to be in the NFL. But then there were other guys that, you know, Sammy Coates, the guy in Houston that I thought would, you know, he, he failed in the NFL. He hasn't really developed that much. And then he fit that offense perfectly well as an X when they had underneath guys under there. And then in New York, there were two or three receivers that I thought, hey, I'm not sure these guys can can really play at this level. And they're their best receivers, right? New York had two receivers go down early and found three more guys that fit their scheme perfectly. And then when you watch the film, which, you know, as, as this being my baby, I not only watched every game, I pretty much watched every team's practice every week <laughs> from minicamp on. Every day I watched probably four or five hours of film because I was obsessed with it and I want to make sure our quality of product was good. And, and seeing that, hey, talent coming in is different than when it's there. And, and you see that so clear saying, hey, you know what? This guy in a vacuum is not better than him, but seeing him run as a slot receiver in this offense with Kevin Gilbride, he's better than if they had Cam Phillips running that role. And you, you know that intrinsically, but I think seeing that so closely, it's this delicate balance of, you wanna have the coaches have an input on in who they want. More importantly, it, it takes a lot of work. And I saw our, st- our team staffs do that, spend a lot of time for our our personnel staffs asking our coaches, no, no, break that position down more. What exactly do you want? Like, why do you want that kind of player? Um, And that's so important in the the roster building process is getting a true identity of every position as much as you can, and then trying to translate those skills to players. It's really hard. A lot of people can't do it well. And I think we had a lot of personnel staffs in the XFL that did an awesome job with that. How involved was, was Oliver in kind of, building that process of, of working with the teams and, and building those rosters. Cause I know obviously he, he was a big part of what yeah. the product, the product was, but um, talk about working with him. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things I, I've, I was able to, you know, gain from Oliver among many things, but, but also impacted me in the moment was he is very much a trust, do your job. And I'm going to be hands off unless it's a problem that I'll come in and, and interject, which he did. And, and I probably got, you know, yelled at two or three times over the course of a year and a half, which I think was a pretty good rate. But, um, but certainly it was very much hands off. And that kind of philosophy is, is I appreciate it because I think in a, long, a lot of degrees for Optimum Scouting, I was kind of the same way is, hey, do this work. I'll check in when need be, but I'm not going to do homework assignments every week. I'm not going to write reports if you don't want to. But when it's time to be there, it better be there and better be good. And, and I think Oliver had that same approach. And I appreciate him kind of entrusting me to do, you know, again, most of those player negotiations, really manage the rosters, update him on the players. Oliver is too, was too busy to watch film um, justifiably. And, and that was my job to kind of convey to him. And that's why I was bored. But I think that was a really impressive part of what he was doing. And he was juggling so much as well as being this outward face, which I think people don't appreciate that, you know, doing the media interviews, even if it's three or four a week, takes away from when you're juggling eight other things and running a whole football league. So I get that. I mean, he has immense respect and immense credit for, for building that. But I think the the important thing that he instilled was kind of a, a philosophical approach. Um, and some of the tent poles were, hey, we want to make sure that our coaches feel very, again, the end goal was good football week one, right? Not good fall week 10, good football week one. And to do that, we had a, we, we worked backwards from there. And I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, we got to get coaches who who know how to manage an offseason in their sleep. Right. We want to make sure we're organized in the office. And that was important. We want to make sure that they have quarterbacks that can run their system week one, right? Not be developmental guys and young guys, but week one, we can do that. And there were four or five more tentpole things. So I think him really ha- focusing on those early on and knowing what our philosophies were to accomplish our goal and then checking in with those goals in mind. Hey, how are we doing these quarterbacks? Is that who Kevin Gilbride wants? Okay, good. Move, move forward. Hey, how are we doing? an offensive line play? Do we have enough depth in the draft pool? Do we have enough guys that have NFL credibility? Do we have guys that can fit multiple schemes? Have we asked our teams for input? Like all those questions, what I had to update him on because we had a goal in mind. So I think I was I was most impressed is probably an understatement. I was um, thankful that he was a leader who 
was goal-oriented, but also trustworthy to say, hey, we're going to check in once in a while. If you have a problem, let me know. But this goal we have to accomplish here, these are the steps we, we've already talked about and fleshed out we have to get through and, and how are these going? So that was always helpful for me because it's very easy to kind of lose track and, and play football GM, like it's fun, right? But if you kind of lose track of those goals, sometimes you can fall victim to, let's go get this receiver. I, I loved him in college, right? That wasn't my job to go find guys I loved in college. It was to build a league for week one, good football. And, and that was one thing Oliver really instilled in all of us. And that came from not only personnel, but from operations and equipment and athletic training and ticket sales and marketing, all those things were, were that same goal, be ready to go effective week one. And I think that was a really powerful message that everyone from me to social media to marketing all knew what the stakes were at the end of the day. So what were those temples? So you talked about organized <clears throat> off season, week one quarterback starters, guys ready yeah. to go. Um, like what, what, what were the other? Yeah, like, no, I mean, from player personnel pers- yeah, from player personnel perspective, it was, um, quarterbacks that, that could play right away for our team's offenses, right? So we let a lot of our head coaches have a lot of influence, if not total influence in who their quarterbacks were. And, um, I, you know, whether that was a good idea or not in hindsight, that's always easier, but, but that was one of our 10 poll ideas. Another one was, you know, quality offense from player personnel only quality offensive line play, right? I instilled early on that the two positions that, that almost only matter are quarterback and offensive line, because there's a real limit of who those guys are, right? There's a lot of good receivers who fall through the cracks or defensive backs or ends, but not a lot of linemen fall through the cracks or quarterbacks. So offensive linemen, that was kind of two prong one, you know, be decisive when those guys are available. If a good offensive lineman's available from NFL team, and we know that and we're confident, go get them. Don't wait and hedge your bets. And secondly, make sure we had a lot of depth for our staff to evaluate, like leave no stone unturned. And that was the one area that you know, I talk about analytics. Our analytics process helps helps ourselves and at the time our XFL teams know who to watch and know who to focus on. Hey, these guys have a higher success rate than others, so focus on them. But for offensive linemen, we looked at everybody, right? Everybody who was six four and above who played Division One football, we probably had eyes on. Um, so. That was a key temple. The, the other ones were, um, you know, be very scheme flexible, right? So make sure that we had, we work with our teams at my level to have a general idea. And I met with all of our coaching staff, some more than others to kind of get a feel for what kind of players they wanted. And more importantly, what kind of players they didn't want, right? If none of our guys wanted six, six, 220 pound X receivers, then let's not spend time on that. But, but <clears throat> trying to find the players that, that could fit a couple of schemes, more importantly, could be scheme versatile was really important for us, especially at running back, receiver, tight end. Um, and then we wanted to have, because we knew that the market, you know, we wanted to have offenses that could be effective with mobile quarterbacks. Not necessarily all our quarterbacks be mobile, but have running backs who catch out of the backfield, have receivers who can improvise well. So all these little things that Oliver and I and Doug Whaley, who was also awesome work with the XFL and Sam Schwartzstein, our, our director of football operations, all of us kind of figured out these things a little bit along the way, but always with this mind. All right, why is that important? We want to play good football week one, right? If why is flexible receivers important? Well, if our offensive line is not playing great, these receivers can improvise and make plays and we can have 20 points each for each team uh, week one of the football, right? So all those temple ideas were, were, were there. It was quarterbacks, schemes, offensive line, um, flexible receivers, et cetera. We're all really important that week one, but, um, but again, the ultimate goal of, of good football week one, I, I say that all the time, but that came up often to say, all right, is this, is this helping us accomplish that goal? Is that really important? Okay, let's do it then. Let's, let's not wait. Let's be decisive. Your relationships with agents. I mean, you kind of like laid the groundwork for this opportunity from the previous years of building, building that network. And yeah. um, the thing that you, you've said, even on this show and, and on previous ones is like, you can't network unless you bring value to the table. Like you cannot yep. connect with somebody else unless you bring something to the table, right? So talk about how you were able to just develop those relationships with agents and, and how that enabled you to make this a reality. Cause I think that's where it kind of all started. Am I wrong? No, yeah. I mean, I think, and I think people think of agents, people in the media as well as people in the NFL think of agents in such a tough way. And their, their job is to, work with and, and help grow people that are 21 years old into professionals in the NFL. And, and I know a lot of agents that are great. I know some that are not great, but um, that's just the nature of any business. But I think what, what I what I valued early on is, as you mentioned, always adding value. And adding value is not as simple as 
here's a scouting report or here's a guy you might like or whatever else. It was never that. It was having discussions with them. Hey, I'm just here to touch base and connect and, you know, learn more about what you're doing. And then over time you realize, oh, this agent likes these kind of guys or, hey, this agent focuses on these things or, hey, this agent, I, I listened when he spoke and I was able to gather that, hey, he's not recruiting anybody this year. So don't bring up a player he might like because he's not recruiting anybody this year. He's taking a year off from recruiting. So those type of things we realized early on. But I think for me, it's been a lot about just genuinely making friends in the industry um, that can lead to something in the future, right? So there are many agents who for four or five years, we never talked any sort of like working together relationship. Um, but that agent may have introduced me to an NFL scout or NFL decision maker that now I'm friends with that I lean on for something else or <clears throat> gave me insight about a player and a background that either impacted that scouting report or future years and philosophical things. And I think it's really important to appreciate their their version of, of the industry and to acknowledge that they're coming out from a different way. That's what I always appreciated early on, right? Is that their goals are very different from NFL teams goals, very different from CFL teams goals, very different from the XFL goals. And instead of thrusting what NFL teams give their, you know, their scouts give their NFL GMs, we learned early on that, hey, there's different messaging that's needed for everybody, right? I mentioned early on when we started 20 years ago <clears throat> that we saw a need, I saw a need for agents and CFL teams to get information. Why? Because the NFL system is not support agents or CFL teams. They're not getting those scouting reports. But more importantly, if they did get a scouting report, it's not necessarily actionable for them. So I learned that, hey, for NFL teams who want to work with us, we want to help them be efficient, cross-check, um, help in analytic development. That's our goal with NFL teams. <clears throat> for CFL teams, it's um, double-checking the top players, right? Making sure that there's U.S. scouting is done correctly, have a baseline knowledge of who a lot of players are. That's what CFL teams want. For agents, they want to know um, how likely is that player to be long-term successful, right? And that means in for them in terms of investment they want to put in, but also just general idea, how much time should I spend, right? Agents are more aligned on the time they spend on recruiting. So I want to make sure I know like, hey, how can I help them know who's good, but also know how good those players are, what their likelihood of being is. So all of those things over the course of, again, two decades almost, and, and really finding out what everybody in the industry really values is, has been really important to develop our business, but more importantly, our relationship in the industry. And now I'm very thankful that we are selective with agencies we work with. Um, you know, we kind of choose them versus they choose us, which is great, especially this year with the XFL, you know, taking a hiatus um, due to bankruptcy. We're able to work with agents again for the first time in a couple of years, and it's been fun and exciting. And I think the best part is that, you know, a lot of what we do can really help them. Um, but again, th that takes a decade to develop relationships like that. There are multiple agencies this year that we're working with that I've known for, like I said, over a decade that I've talked with and worked with that are now working with us because now they have a need and they want it. They trust our relationship and they trust that a lot too. When you know, agents endorse us to other agencies, which may sound surprising or NFL teams may sound surprising, but they do. And that agents are a good relationship because they're just, they're football fans like you and I, and they're just in the business in a different way. And I think when you appreciate that and come at it from the right, right attitude, I think most people, 99% of people who work in football don't want to interact with the agent community. And I think in some degrees, I'm happy because that's where our lane is and I'll take that lane. But in some ways, I think people would be smart to learn from agents. I talked to an agent for an hour yesterday and he's probably, I won't say who it is, probably one of the best evaluating agents. And he tells NFL GMs who to go check out. He's that good. And I was talking to him for a while. I'll pick his brain, right? He's, he's one of our clients. I'll pick his brain the same way too, because it's that, open relationship that really matters. And, and you don't know who in this business is going to really help you out along the way. And I think for sometimes it's been agents for me, sometimes it's been Andrew Brandt, sometimes it's been Oliver Luck, sometimes it's been you and picking your brain about certain things. Um, but trying to be a sponge when I can and convey that information to the right person at the right time has been a big reason for, for thankfully, hopefully our success now in the future. Yeah. And uh, what does it feel like? What, what are you guys um, looking towards now? Uh, I know you talked about the agents, but um, yeah, give you a little plug on the College no, I, I appreciate it. We're, we're excited to uh, we're excited to do more work, um, you know, likely away from from the agent world. I think people just kind of get a little fuzzy with agents and that's that's OK. We, we don't do anything crazy. One thing we believe in is I'm I'm honest with whoever we work with and direct. And if that guy sucks and you shouldn't sign him, then I'm going to tell you that right away. But we don't I don't tell kids sign with any players, it's not our role. We don't we don't work with agents in that way. We're really a scouting aspect. But but no, I'm excited where, uh, you know, the XFL is coming back and, and we'll see if we work with them or not. We'll, we'll kind of make that decision when that time comes. But 
you know, I, I'm, I'm very passionate about working with college athletes um, for a long time now. We do, even last year, it's one thing the XFL really allowed uh, myself and our team to do is still advise college athletes. Um, so we've, we've done consistently about 100, some years, as many as 200 players, help them decide on what to do in the NFL draft process. And I care about that because I don't think there's really good resources for players to make that incredibly big life decision. So we have, we have information and products and meetings and, and we never tell a player, here's what you should do. It's here's the information, here's the scouting report, the analytics, the NFL feedback, all this information, I'll help you understand that. But this is a big choice for you to make and an agent or a coach or whoever else should, unless they're unbiased, they shouldn't be helping you make that choice. So I'm really passionate about that. I'm thankful that, you know, starting this year, we're working with a handful of colleges um, to kind of help holistically with their with their college programs, football programs, obviously, but help them understand the business from a agent training. I, I always focus on what matters, right? Hey, when you're, I tell players all the time, right? When you're at practice, right? NFL scouts may be there, may not be there, but they're taking notes on the kind of guy you are. And you should be someone who is, when you're, when they ask your coaches, it should be a no brainer. He's a good person. But also when they ask your academic advisor, when they ask the secretary at the front desk, I've been at schools. I was at Virginia Tech a couple of years ago and I saw three scouts talk to the receptionist at the front of the football department and ask them, any players you know by name? Just that alone. And she's like, yeah, I know these five guys and these six guys, and this kid's a great kid. Like that stuff matters. And for you're an athlete, you know, it's on the football field, you better handle your business. But, but those type of things and interactions are really important. So no, I'm, I'm really passionate working with college athletes, again, for a lot of reasons. And like I said, a couple of football programs around the country have kind of taken on our beta program this year. And and getting all of our information just like NFL teams would and then more. So I hope to continue that in the future because that's really where, uh, where I think our, our best use of our time in the industry is gonna be served, so. Eric, appreciate you jumping on the show, man. Uh, where can our listeners find you and, and, and follow your work? I don't, I don't tweet that much anymore, but I still am at Eric Alco Optum Scouting. We may have some more media content stuff just to kind of keep it out there, but, but really, um, you know, follow us and, and what we're doing. Like I said, working with college programs, working with hopefully the XFL again in the future. We'll see on that front. But uh, but really, if you want to work in football, hopefully you can kind of hear a little bit what, what Alex talks about in this podcast. Hopefully I shared some some ideas on how to work in the business. And if you want to work in the business, what really matters. But um, passionate about developing people who want to work in football. I'm passionate about helping college athletes directly. And uh, any way we can help um, Alex pass along my information, anybody who wants wants to learn more, hear more about what we're talking about, because we covered a lot in about an hour, but um, certainly more we can talk about for sure, man. Absolutely. Well, you have a good rest of your day, man. And uh, always uh, have a good one. Thanks. We appreciate it.